This is the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess, and we're growing chubby and really healthy babies in episode number 188. Welcome to the Birth, Baby, and Life podcast, the tips, tools, and straight talk you want for pregnancy, childbirth, and bringing up baby. And now your host, Kristen Burgess. Hey mama, today we are going to talk about intrauterine growth retardation or restriction, which is also called fetal growth restriction, and sometimes you'll hear it referred to as small for gestational age. My name is Kristen Burgess, and I work with pregnant and new mamas who want to have a great pregnancy with a healthy baby, who want to have a natural birth, even a beautiful sacred birth experience, and who want to intentionally create a peaceful home that is filled with the laughter of happy kids and a very happy family. Like I said, today we are going to talk about fetal growth restriction or intrauterine growth retardation, intrauterine growth restriction, small for gestational age. All of those are names that you'll hear to describe what is often the same thing. And the this is an important thing to think about because more and more moms are getting this diagnosis. At least it feels like that to me. I've been doing this for a long time, almost 17 years now working with moms and over two decades and being up to my ears in the pregnancy, birth, and baby world. And I feel like I'm seeing this more often. And the issue that really sends up red flags and worries me is that it seems to be a given. Like, there's just something wrong. It's it's this way with so many pregnancy <laughs> complications, really. It's just that, oh, this is just a problem that you've had and and you've got bad luck and, okay, now we need to do all these things because you're high risk. And there never seems to be any acknowledgement of, okay, or even exploration of why did this happen? Why are we dealing with this? Is there anything that we can do to fix this outside of just seeing a high-risk doctor? And even when they do prescribe something to quote-unquote fix things, like for example gestational diabetes, it's it's usually not evidence-based. So this is part of a larger problem, really. But specifically, it's a problem that, okay, your baby's small for gestational age, your baby isn't growing well, you get risked out of everything, you need to see a high-risk doctor, and now there's all this fear, and there isn't really any sort of practical strategy for what are we going to do other than refer you to a high-risk doctor and give you a gazillion ultrasounds and you're going to worry a lot and maybe we'll quote-unquote take the baby early because the baby's not growing. And that solution isn't optimal for anybody, except for, I don't know, maybe somebody who's making money off of it. But I honestly don't believe that this is motivated by money. I think it's motivated by ignorance, or or not necessarily ignorance, but the inability to look outside of the paradigm that one is looking out of, out, out of which is technically ignorance, but I'm trying to be nice here. So... What happens when we look at this from another way is there's a possibility that we can get these babies growing. There's even a possibility that we can get these babies to catch up. And I'm not saying that this will always happen. Sometimes we have like congenital abnormalities that are causing the growth restriction. Babies born with some sort of congenital abnormality or is is conceived and growing with some sort of congenital abnormality, and that's going to cause a problem. And sometimes there's problems with the placenta, but what I'm going to argue for you today is that many of those things can be overcome, maybe not completely, but in a massive way. 
when you put concentrated effort on what to do, we see better outcomes for babies and moms. And you deserve to have this information. This is another thing I can remember way back in the day. I'm going off on a little rabbit trail here. But I can remember way back in the day when I was a La Leche League leader eons ago. And vitamin D was a huge controversy. And and this actually still comes up a lot, which is funny because we're a decade and a half away from that time for me. But Vitamin D was a big controversy, and I had a problem sometimes with the way that we approach things in the Leche League because you didn't want to make a mother feel guilty because she wasn't doing X, Y, and Z. But to me, it was really important to share with women information that they needed because then she could make a change. It seems unethical to me to withhold information that could help mothers and babies be healthier in the name of not making some moms feel guilty. Because yes, a mom who knows and then doesn't choose to act upon that knowledge may feel guilt, but that's also her responsibility. My ethical responsibility is to give moms the information that they need so that they can do as much as possible. And so that's the case here with what I'm going to talk about with fetal growth restriction is I want to give you as much information as possible to do as much as possible. And it may cause some guilt for what you didn't do before, but that's really the case with everything in life. I always go back to the Maya Angelou quote, when you know better, you do better. When I knew better, I did better. And that's just the case. That's what we go forward with. And we get, we forgive ourselves and we let things go. And we get excited with what we can still do with the opportunities that we have. So let's jump into things. So I want to share a story about a client who had a really tiny baby the first time around. That baby wasn't so tiny. She was still able to have a home birth. But with her second baby, this baby was even tinier. And she ended up with an IUGR diagnosis And she was risked out of a home birth and told she would have to be at the hospital. And this was probably around 24, 25 weeks or so. And that's when she reached out to me. Um, I think she had taken my mama baby birthing classes previously, or she had just signed up for mama baby birthing classes. But she was in mama baby birthing and she reached out because she had gotten this diagnosis. She didn't want to birth in the hospital. And she was especially worried about her baby. And what I did was ask her to do something that was new and novel to her. She's like, nobody asked me about that at all, Kristen. And I asked her to keep a three-day food diary and send it to me. Because when you're already in this situation, what's it going to hurt to log your food? So she did that. And when she sent it to me, what I realized was that she really wasn't eating enough. And we're going to come back and talk about food a lot more in detail. But she really wasn't eating enough. And so I recommended that she eat more. And this was really difficult for her. I think she may have struggled with eating issues in the past. And also for her, it felt like a financial thing. Like she was going to be a financial burden on her family if she ate more. And while some of you may think that that's not an issue at all. For others of you, that's really real. In fact, if you look at questionnaires about hunger, one of the questions that you often see is, do you go without meals to make sure that your children have enough? That's a warning sign for both child malnutrition and also for a family that's just not not getting enough. I'm sorry, ladies. My kids are doing something 
out front that apparently involves hammering. So if you can hear that in the background, I apologize greatly. And I can only hope that they stop in a moment. (laughs) Because I think they're outside and I'm not in a place where I can easily get up and holler at them. But anyway, so I want to extend compassion to you if you feel like this is the case. And I also want to encourage you, and I'll come back to this again too, that this is a huge investment in your baby. Now for my client, the thing that was really exciting with her, and we ended up doing some one-on-one work together too, which was really nice so we could work intensely. But the important thing for her was that she talked to her husband about the recommendations that I made for changes that she implement and... To him, finances weren't an issue at all. To him, the important thing was his wife and his child. And so he put his foot down and he said, okay, well, he actually made a bulk meat order so that they had plenty of protein in the freezer. They had a fully stocked freezer. And he told her, you know, this is the most important thing is that you and the baby be healthy. And I love her story because it's a dramatic story, but not an unusual story in that she ate really well for a couple weeks. She, she told me when we were on our consults that she felt like she was eating so much food and she felt stuffed, but she was really committed to eating well. And within just a couple of weeks, her baby had made dramatic progress. Like baby had grown dramatically. Now, the story has a happy ending, not the perfect ending for her because because she had gotten that diagnosis already, even though baby grew well for the remainder of her pregnancy, she still had to give birth in the hospital. But the fun thing is, is she was super healthy and robust by the time she got to the hospital and she had her baby within like an hour of getting there. In fact, the nurses were joking with her that next time you should have a home birth. And she said she just laughed. But if you think about that, she had a good healthy baby. Baby was about seven and a half pounds, which is a dramatic difference from what her first baby was. And a good sized baby, especially for a baby that was playing catch up. And the other thing to consider is that she got to the hospital and she just birthed and pushed the baby out easily. So that uterus was working well, was well nourished, well oxygenated, good placenta for the baby. So everything looked really good. I love that story again, because it illustrates just the dramatic results that you can get when you work on this. So babies can and do grow when you work hard. And we're going to talk primarily about food today, but I'm also going to talk about a couple of other factors that you may want to consider. So definitely listen through the end of the episode. But we know that fetal growth restriction seems to come about due primarily to blood and circulation issues. Like I said, there can be some congenital abnormalities that can make it hard for baby to grow. And I'm not talking about known risk factors like smoking, For example, if you smoke throughout pregnancy, we know that you're likely to have a small baby. And of course, that's because smoking profoundly impacts placenta and circulation and restricts the ability of the placenta to do its job. It restricts circulation and that. So it's really tied to the same thing. But we're talking about in moms that, you know, we're ruling out obvious things. But many moms don't realize that not-so-obvious things are also really common problems. If you listen to last week's episode where I was talking about how to get your birth partner to be helpful during pregnancy and birth, 
I talked about how one of the most powerful things was for him to realize that baby's health really depends on you. And fortunately, my client's husband definitely realized that, and he went into action. So that's a good story also for last week. In fact, I may have shared it last week. But um, I, I just want you to to ponder that for a minute, that your baby depends fully upon you. And that's not meant to make you stressed out or guilty, but it is meant to empower you and to help you realize that even if you hear a diagnosis that's scary or there's hints of something that's scary, know that you can do so much. And really and truly, again, like I talked about last week, your physiology changes dramatically during pregnancy. And it's really important for you to understand that so you can support your baby's optimal growth. And next week on the podcast, we're going to come back to this too. So you're going to hear about this a lot in the next couple of weeks, just because it's such a critical cornerstone to preventing complications. And when you want to create a beautiful birth experience, and when you want to create a birth experience that is as smooth as possible, that has that hormonal boost that you want that has the fetal ejection reflex, which helps push baby out smoothly so you get to do that mother-directed pushing. When you want that beautiful sacred birth experience that brings that ecstasy that's so beneficial for you and baby, then you want to understand the physiology of pregnancy and you want to be proactive with it. And so I want to help you understand that. So your physiology changes dramatically. And when you understand and honor that, you support your baby's optimal growth. And babies can grow when you do that, Um, even if your baby seems behind. So oftentimes, intrauterine growth restriction gets located about the time it was for my client. So 25, 28, 32 weeks, that's the time that it's it's going to get figured out. If you're seeing a midwife, she's probably checking fundal height every week, and that starts around 20 weeks or so. And she may start to notice, oh, baby seems a little bit small for gestational age. If you're having ultrasounds, which remember, they're not super accurate to begin with, but if they're flagging that baby seems small, this is the point in pregnancy when that's going to happen. And fortunately, the latter part of pregnancy is when babies gain the most weight. And many babies will recover very well, just like my client's baby, and you'll see a healthy birth weight baby, even if the placenta is small. Now, if if there have been circulation problems going on since early pregnancy, it may be that the placenta stays on the smaller side and vascular changes, vascularization isn't as robust as it would have been if you had been able to start all of this earlier. But what I want to encourage you is that you can make a huge difference even now. And if you're listening to this and you had a baby with growth restriction in the past, definitely, definitely consider that this is stuff you want to implement right from the get-go, even from the first trimester as much as possible, even though I know universally pretty much the first trimester can be a harder time for moms to get what they need. But I want you to really consider that, that it's good to start early, but even if you can't start early, even if you're finding out mid-pregnancy or two-thirds of the way through your pregnancy, there is still so much that you can do. Now, a quick caveat that I want to add in here, just like I noted that ultrasound can be notoriously inaccurate for dates, especially, or excuse me, for weights, especially the farther along you get 
in your pregnancy, though what the advice that I'm going to give you today is good advice for any mom. So you can take this advice even if you're not sure that the ultrasound weight is accurate or even if you're not sure that your doctor is right. But another thing to be aware of is your dates. So if you know when you conceived and your due date is based off of that, that's great. If you have clockwork cycles and your due date is based off of your clockwork cycles, that's probably pretty accurate too. But many women, I think it's easier now because a lot of women are tracking their cycles with period tracking apps. But sometimes women have wonky cycles, you have irregular cycles, or you haven't been tracking and you're just not really sure when you fell pregnant. And if your cycle is any sort of irregular length, the standard due date calculations may not work quite right for you. So that's something else to keep in mind is if you're not sure of your dates, it could be that your baby is of is not as big because your baby is not as old <laughs> as everybody thinks that they are. So that's just a quick aside that I want to add in to be aware of in case it is relevant to you. So another story that I like, it's similar to my client's story, and this comes from Joy Jones, who is a nurse who works um, who worked with Dr. Brewer when he is alive and still works to help educate moms about the Brewer diet, which is the pregnancy diet that I recommend. I love the new research that's coming out that continues to support it, even as we make some tweaks here and there for what we know now, like especially about things like gestational diabetes. But anyways, Joy tells the story of a mom who came in around 32 weeks, got in contact with her, and this mom had a similar story to my clients, but she was told that she just had a bad placenta and that her baby just wasn't going to be able to grow because of the bad placenta. What this mom did was implement Joy's suggestions to the letter, which involved the brewer diet, including some emergency protocol, because the mom really hadn't gained weight and baby really did seem to be profoundly underweight. Well, this mom gained like two pounds in just a matter of days with following Joy's protocol. And then similar to my client, had a beautiful birth experience with the 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 mom actually asked she was fully dilated she's having a hospital birth fully dilated i think the joy was there in a doula capacity and so the mom was fully dilated but she wasn't feeling a pushing urge so they asked the nurses if it would be okay to wait a little bit to see if she felt a pushing urge and the nurses were okay with that and so they actually left and let her just relax and a short time later she did begin to feel the urge to push nurse and doctor came in and the baby was born very quickly and easily without the mom really having to push at all which is that fetal ejection reflex or mother directed pushing where a baby comes on down and out and again that just points out that not only was the baby healthy, but the uterus was well-nourished. And that's something to think about if baby's having trouble growing and the placenta doesn't seem quite right, what's going on with the uterus? But when we have a uterus that's robust and healthy to push baby out, then we know that things are likely okay. And this is one of the reasons why when we address a complication like fetal growth restriction or preeclampsia or anything else, really we increase safety all around. Because when you have this weak, poorly nourished uterus, then that uterus isn't going to do its job as well to get baby out, nor is it going to do its job as well in the postpartum to contract and firm up and, and stop bleeding. So that mom is just more likely to bleed and more likely to have a baby who's sickly and more likely overall to be poorly nourished herself. So really and truly, this is addressing everything. 
Last week, I said that most complications are preventable, and I really want you to take that to heart and really realize that even if it doesn't always feel easy, it's worth it. Uh, My favorite resource to recommend to moms who are expecting multiples is a book by Dr. Barbara Luke called When You're Expecting Twins, Triplets, and Quads, and I will link to that in the show notes in case you're expecting multiples, Um, and I'll I'll put uh, notes to my, or links to the Brewerdite and stuff too, but um, I'm just making a note to put that in the show notes. But I I love her book because it's the most evidence-based book on multiples, and it definitely, definitely, definitely emphasizes diet as being super important. And she tells stories of moms of multiples who just, because they have to eat even more food because they're supporting, you know, two or three or even four babies. And these moms tell her, oh my gosh, I just can't eat another bite. They feel like their full-time job is eating. But she encourages them that it's really worth it. And one of the cool things, and I think this is in the book, that she has in the book is she shows pictures like circles uh, that show the diameter of baby's head. And I think I think there may be footprints as well. I'm not where I can grab the book off my bookshelf right now. But she shows these circles that are the diameters of baby's head and the footprints that show the difference in baby's head size between, say, like 31 weeks and 32 and 34 and 36 and 38 weeks and such because it just helps the mom. She said that visual helps moms understand when they're, you know, stuffing down their their fifth hamburger for the day or whatever, um, you know, that, that this is the difference that you're making in your baby and for your baby. And it's just so important to look at that, I think, and to realize that. So anyways, those are a couple tips, but, or a couple stories rather, but we, we know that diet makes a difference. Now, the most critical way that diet makes a difference is via blood volume expansion. So your blood volume expands by about 60% during pregnancy. Every single system in your body changes during pregnancy. I may have mentioned this last week. I mentioned this a lot just because I don't think that women usually hear it. And it's one of the most profound things that happens during pregnancy, aside from the entire emotional, mental, spiritual shift that you make as you transition into motherhood. And of course, the arrival of a brand new person. But the fact that your blood volume expands that much and the fact that every single system in your body, all of your major body systems change, and all of those changes and and your baby's growth and the placental growth and the health of your uterus and the health of your tissues, the tissues that you're pushing baby out through, et cetera, et cetera, as well as your immune system and all of that are supported by this blood volume expansion because that carries the blood, which carries the oxygen and the nutrients that your body needs throughout your body to all of these different systems, to your organs, to your uterus, where the perfusion happens with the placenta and baby is able to get this blood that is just chock full of nutrients and oxygen and everything that he or she needs. So the blood volume expansion is critical. And the next most critical thing, especially for moms who have risk factors for fetal growth restriction and also other issues that we think may be rooted with the placenta are like preeclampsia, is getting healthy fats in your diet. Because we know that healthy fats improve circulation, improve overall health, and also um, improve placental health. And baby's brain is also starving for healthy fats. So that is definitely not a small thing to consider. So 
really and truly, when you eat a pregnancy diet, the purpose of your pregnancy diet is to get nutrients. But the overarching meta purpose of your pregnancy diet is to facilitate this blood volume expansion, which is why the Brewer diet, even though it's been around for a long time, is still an important cornerstone to consider because the Brewer diet is like a three-legged stool. If you got a three-legged stool, you cut one leg off, your stool falls over. It's really difficult to use it. So you need that three-legged stool, which is protein, salting to taste, and getting plenty of calories. And all of those things are super, super important to expanding your blood volume. And I'm not going to go into all of the technical explanation for that. I do have the technical explanation for that, including videos to help you understand blood volume expansion, um, and videos to show you what you should eat and how to make sure that you're getting the right proportions in. In my pregnancy diet class, you can get more information on that class at birthbabylife.com slash diet. That's birthbabylife.com slash diet. That class goes into great detail and it also goes into a lot of detail on something that most moms worry about, which is what if I'm picky? What if I have food allergies? What if I have um, sensitivities? How do I make this work for me? What if I don't like standard American foods? What if I have aversions to this, that, or the other? All of those things are things that I cover in great depth in that class. It's one of my favorite classes because it's one of the things that I feel the most passionate about. So you can get that one at birthbabylife.com slash diet. Again, that one's a focused class that deep dives into diet. But you know, I've talked about blood volume expansion and those healthy fats and, you know, about EFAs and everything like that. But remember, healthy fats are also critical to circulation and good circulation. And we want good fats like coconut oil, olive oil, avocado oil, um, avocados themselves, coconuts themselves. Nuts are good. Uh, also, though, dairy Full-fat dairy is shown to help with fertility, and full-fat dairy, I believe, still has a place during pregnancy as well. Um, you may want to go for a little bit lower-carbohydrate dairy if you're worried about gestational diabetes, and I don't have a lot of time to dive into that right now, but still getting some full-fat dairy in can be good um, and and gives you that healthy, good dairy fat, so like full-fat yogurt and kefir because we also know one of the things that can cause intrauterine growth retardation or fetal growth restriction can be infection. Uh, it's it's less likely, but getting fermented foods like fermented dairy products in your diet can help be protective against infection. So that's another aside to help you out there. But there's all this technical stuff like getting those good types of fats in and helping the blood volume expand. Um, and now somebody's playing the piano. So if you guys get serenaded with the piano and can hear that, you know that that's just my lovable children. Um, but anyways, another problem that I've noticed, and this is the problem that I noticed with my client. This is the problem that Joy noted with her client is how much women are eating because it's often next to nothing. And and I'm not blaming you for that. I know that in many of my pregnancies, and I've had eight, there's been times when I've noticed that I'm feeling run down, that I'm not feeling the greatest. And when I track my diet for a few days, I go, oh, no wonder. I'm really not eating enough. There was a point in my pregnancy with Phoenix, my last baby, when I just really felt off. I felt down. I, I felt a lot of pressure down low and just crampy and icky. And I actually thought he might come early. 
And I tracked my diet for a few days and realized I just wasn't eating very well. And so I went to the store and stocked up and I was really intentional about eating for a few days. And all of those signs and symptoms went away. And actually, maybe I shouldn't tell you this, but he actually waited until after his due date to come. Um, And he was a good chunk when he came. But I really believe that it was paying attention to my diet and realizing that I wasn't eating well, that I was stressed. And that's what often happens, Mama, is you get really busy and you think that you're eating well, but you're not. Or you think that grazing after your older kids constitutes a lunch, but you're not really sitting down and eating on your own. And that can be a problem. And while I believe that things like intermittent fasting and such definitely have a place for women when you're not pregnant and breastfeeding, well, I think that they definitely aren't a good idea when you are pregnant and especially not when you're breastfeeding like a younger nursling. If you're, you know, if you're breastfeeding a two-year-old or a three-year-old, that's a different thing. But when we're talking about babies getting the majority of their sustenance from you and especially during pregnancy... You don't need to be skipping meals and you probably need meals and snacks. Even though it can take time to plan those out and make sure that you have those, I want you to make sure that you have those. Even if it means that you need to prep a little cooler in the morning every day before you go to work, take that with you. I love this story. Um, One of my clients was a flight attendant and she flew throughout a good part of her pregnancy and what she would do is just have a cooler bag Uh, packed with snacks for the plane and then as soon as the plane landed and she knew she was going to be staying in the town she would go find a grocery store and restock her snack bag and make sure that she had everything and I've heard similar stories from mamas who are traveling like I worked with a mom who was a social worker that went into homes with families who were at risk And so she just kept that cooler bag in her car so that she could snack between family visits and so that she had a good lunch. So there are definitely solutions. I know even for me, when I'm pregnant and I'm at home, it can be helpful for me to think through and to know that I've got snacks prepared and ready. So again, those are things that you can do to make sure that you're eating enough. Because often the biggest problem when I ask a mom to track her diet is that she's not eating enough. I had another client that I worked one-on-one with. And if you want to work one-on-one with me, shoot me an email, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I do have some uh, consulting slots open right now. I have to limit them because I want to make sure that I'm with every mom as she needs. And we do like a Voxer chat. We have a, a text or a voice chat where you can send me questions all throughout the day. And then as you get closer to your baby's birth, we do Zooms and that sort of thing too. So I have to make sure that I have room for every mom. But I do have a couple slots open right now. So if you're interested in that, shoot me an email, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com and we'll jump on the phone and see if that's a good fit. But this is another mom that I did a one-on-one with and she was having problems with like dizziness and heart palpitations and that sort of thing. Her baby didn't seem to be suffering at all, but she wasn't feeling good. Her doctor actually did some labs to see if he could figure out what was going on and then never looked at the results of the labs, but I asked her if I could, and I could quickly see that there were some nutritional issues going on, and one of the biggest was that it was hard for her. She was really short, and it was just hard for her to get in a lot of food with babies starting to fill up her body, which wasn't very big anyways, but she made a really concerted effort, and we definitely focused on super nutrient-dense foods for her that we give her a lot of bang for her buck, and within days, again, it's so so incredible to me how dramatically things can change when moms get on board and when moms really start paying attention and being intentional. And sometimes it takes encouragement from like my one client's husband or from me, but you can really do it. You can make a huge difference. So I would recommend that you log 
how much you're eating. Look at what you're eating and see, does that line up with those pregnancy diet requirements? Am I getting the amount of calories that I need? Am I getting the amount of protein that I need? And and am I salting to taste? Those are the three pillars. Those are the things that are most important. And of course, the quality of food matters. I, I do recommend that you include animal foods in your diet for a number of reasons. I'm actually going to do a live in a couple weeks where I'm live in the Facebook group, and I'll put a link to the group in the show notes below if you're not a member. Um, and if you join the group and friend me on Facebook, you'll definitely get a notification about when I go live with this. Uh, but I'm going to talk about pregnancy superfoods, and I'm going to go into a lot more detail about why I recommend animal foods and the specific pregnancy superfoods, many of which are animal foods, but some of which are not. So it's just going to be a great live video to watch. Um, But I want you to tune into that, join the group. But the animal foods are important because A, they give you a lot of protein and they give you really healthy fats. Plus their nutrient density is just off the charts. And you also get other things that moms tend to struggle with like B vitamins and iron are in animal foods. Plus there are things like glycine, choline. All of these things are super important to baby growth and super important to placental function. So I definitely recommend that you eat animal foods. Even if you're vegetarian and don't want to eat meat, please, 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 please do eggs, do fish, um, and if possible, do high-quality dairy, especially fermented dairy, because those things are just so beneficial for your baby. And again, I'm going to go into it a lot more on that live, so tune into that. But you want to make sure that you're getting high-quality foods, and you want to make sure that you're getting enough foods. Now, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that I would cover a few other tips, and I definitely want to do that for you, because there are a couple of other things that seem to make a difference. So one of the big ones seems to be stress relief. And I want you to go back to the podcast episode about stress relief and how you can handle stress during pregnancy because that is so, so, so important. And we do believe that it seems to make a difference and reduce the risks. Now, we there's mixed, mixed studies like I mentioned. You know, it doesn't seem to ultimately impact baby birth weight the way that we thought that it used to. But it does seem to make some difference. And we do know that when moms reduce stress, they're able to eat better. And so it may be an anecdotal thing. It may be that when you reduce stress levels overall and when you incorporate mindfulness, which again, I talked about that a lot on the podcast episode, you just really see a lot of improvement and see things change overall for the better. And so I just want to encourage you to please Take the time to listen to that episode. Take the time to incorporate these mindfulness practices in. Cut back on things when you can. Be present. Be aware. Learn how to work through difficult emotions in healthy ways. And then probably the biggest thing I would recommend, and on the stress episode, I talked about creating boundaries when you could and making changes when you could, but I stress more mindfulness. On this episode, I really want to stress that if it's possible for you to change stressful situations, like especially if you're in a stressful career If you can change that, it's not to say that you can't do a career, that you can't juggle everything, but a lot of women are trying to juggle everything, including super stressful career while doing everything at home. What can you do to create an outlet for yourself if that includes hiring a cleaning service because that helps you? Or if that includes sitting down and talking to your boss about the responsibilities that you're taking at work. And it can be a catch-22 when you feel like, well, I'm about to take a maternity leave and I don't want to ask for too much. But I want you to, again, have this perspective in mind 
that this is your baby and really and truly this is your baby's lifelong health that we're talking about. Because baby's birth weight is predictive of baby health throughout life. And another thing that's important, I haven't mentioned it yet on this episode, is that we know that babies who grow in the womb under restriction, like nutrient restriction and growth restriction, their bodies are primed to be in survival mode throughout the rest of their lives, which makes them much more prone to obesity and obesity-related complications. So again, this isn't to encourage guilt. This is rather to empower you to realize just how much you can do with changes that are really simple. And so when you're thinking about things like negotiating at work for less stressful environment, hiring a cleaning service, or talking with your partner about not wanting to have to do everything, and what are his ideas to help you out, or making the time to eat meals and snacks every day, getting in enough, even if maybe it feels hard for you, which it has for many of my clients and many other clients, and even people close to me that I love who have trouble eating as as much as they as much as they should I want you to look at this and look at this as an investment in your baby's life and in your baby's future. We would do so much for our babies. And in fact, once our babies are born, we do do so very much for our babies. But I think it's harder when your baby's in the womb because you have to overcome the fact that you're between you and your baby. And it feels like taking time for you or it feels like doing something that might be selfish. But the reality is, is it's supporting your baby and it's an investment in your baby. So these moms who would do so much for their babies once their babies are born and who would spend, say, so much money. I think I picked on a stroller in a recent episode who would spend a lot of money on a stroller, but they don't spend money on good food or they don't spend money on birthing classes and stuff because that sort of thing seems, oh, that's trivial. That's just helping me or whatever. You know, the baby's going to be okay because we're going to be at the hospital and, you know, well, it's okay. I'm, I'm eating an, oh, enough. And I want you to realize just how critical doing these things for you is on both a physical level and also an emotional, mental, spiritual level, because when you nourish yourself in those ways, you're much more able to nourish your baby, both physically and practically, but also on an emotional level. I couldn't do what I do with parenting six kids if I didn't take care of myself both physically and emotionally. So keep those things in mind. Please work through those things and if possible, work to shift those difficult situations. Now, one more thing that seems to be really promising um, is baby aspirin. And I'm going to talk about, I, I'm, I'm doing a live where we talk about baby aspirin. So that'll be one that you want to tune into too, because it comes up in the group a lot. And I'll mention this again as well next week when we talk about preeclampsia. But in addition to the promise that it shows for preeclampsia, which we'll really dig into it more next week. So listen then, is it also seems to show a lot of promise for uh fetal growth restriction. It seems to cut risks about in half, especially for moms that are at risk and can be especially helpful when started in the first trimester. So I'll talk about that in more detail next week. But and again, the live is going to be going into that. But again, keep that in mind. And also remember that it it seems to have essentially no side effects. So for those crunchy moms who don't want to do medication, that's something to consider and tune into the episode in the live if you want more detail on that. Again, all of this isn't easy, but it can make a huge difference. Now, real quick before we finish up, how do you talk with your doctor about this? 
If they've given you a diagnosis and want to send you for more testing into a high-risk doctor, I think that's okay. That's reasonable. But you might discuss with them about trying a trial and really focusing on your nutrition for a couple of weeks before you do too much, especially before you end up with a label and risked out, is can we do a nutrition trial? Because I've been reading a lot about nutrition. I know that a lot of studies have come out recently that show that nutrition and stress relief is really positive. Can I try that for a couple of weeks and let's see what baby is based on the benchmark that we got today or that we got at the last appointment. So that can be a way to talk with them about it. The reality is, is most care providers are just not thinking about nutrition at all. So when you do that, it might seem odd to them, but they may also be open to it. So I would talk with them about doing a trial before jumping into a lot of other things. So remember that your baby can grow that diet is just so powerful and it does so many things that helps prevent or reverse so many complications. There are other factors that you can try, such as the stress relief, such as the baby aspirin, but really, really, really look at that diet. It is worth the effort, it is worth making the change, it's worth tracking for a few days to figure out what your baseline is. And then to brainstorm creatively for what you can do to get that up. And like I said, if you want a focused class that really goes into the science of it and really goes into the practical aspect of, okay, how do I make this work? What do I eat, Kristen? How do I deal with my food sensitivities and allergies? What do I do if I'm a super picky eater? How do I do this? You want the pregnancy diet class. You can get that at birthbabylife.com diet. And again, if you're interested in chatting with me one-on-one about your situation, shoot me an email, Kristen at Natural Birth and Baby care.com. Like I've said a few times, next week we're going to talk about preeclampsia and what you can do to prevent it and also some emergency things you can do if you think that you're headed towards it. Otherwise, again, I'd love to see you in the pregnancy diet class or have you reach out to me, Kristen at naturalbirthandbabycare.com. I hope that you have a blessed week and I will talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to the Birth, Baby and Life podcast with Kristen Burgess. For great resources and tons more info, visit www.birthbabylife.com. Visit www.birthbabylife.com.